0: Good morning. Uh, I hope we're doing well. Uh, how many of you were with us last week? Hands raised. Good. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, what we talked about last week was the process by which someone is developed as a disciple. And it's the biblical process. It's very important. And I would dare say the most important thing we've discussed and the most important thing we'll discuss in this series. So if you didn't see it, go back and watch it. Today, I only intend to unpack further Um, that part that we couldn't get to last week, and that is in the action section of the spin cycle. We talk about who God has made us to be versus what we do and how our doing is informed by our being. We are who he says we are. Amen? We are not who we say we are. Amen? When an artist or inventor creates, they do so with express purpose. The creation It's theirs. And when it comes to manifestation, it's simply a palatable uh, and tangible manifestation of the thing that was in their heart or mind before we could see it. When the narrative of Genesis tells us that God spoke into existence everything we see as creator, the creativity of God was put on display. In Genesis 1, it says, "...in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth." In Ephesians one four it says for he chose in him for he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Genesis one twenty seven says so God created man in his own image. He created them in the image of God. He created them male and female. Psalm twenty four one says that the earth and everything in it, the word, uh, the world and its inhabitants belong to the Lord. So. Um, What the Bible is saying is that we were created, and we have a creator. And if by no more than the relationship of creator to created, we're related to him. Now, if we're going to take the title his, that means that we have to accept his plan, his will. And we have to submit to the fact that we couldn't save ourselves. How many of you have experienced that in this world there's evil desire and self-worship? Okay, Obviously, so in order to uh, accept and become His, Jesus died, shed His blood, spilt uh, all that as atonement for you and I, and we have to be able to embrace that. Say we need, we have a Savior, we need a Lord. I don't want to save myself. I don't even want to live for myself anymore. I want to worship You, and through that process is how we become His. Otherwise, we walk around with this intention, this plan, this design. And, uh, and we use it for ourselves, only becoming the ugliest picture of ourselves. We were created for His express purpose. And He has an intent for each of us. That's our first point. We're created. In Proverbs 22, 6, it says, Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. This passage intends more than attending church and training a child morally. Okay? We okay? All right. So what it intends is that children have a specific God-given bend, and it is our responsibility as parents to know and understand that bend. It's important for us to understand our children. How many of you have children, and you recognize that you can't talk to one child the same way that you do the other child, whether even in encouragement or correction? How many of you recognize that? How many of you? Yeah. You as a child, your parents needed to speak to you differently than they did your brother or sister because you have an individual bend. You, you can try to talk to all your kids the same like one big paintbrush, like a broad sweep. But what you're going to find is you're probably ineffective in the life of one of those kids and you're going to find yourself hitting a wall, quite possibly breaking them down, breaking their will and provoking your child to anger, the scripture says. However, if you'd simply take the time to get to know your kid, begin by addressing him in the way that speaks to them most. This is not new, okay? I've I not said anything new yet. There are books that have been written about this for tens of years. How many of you have ever heard of Raising Boys? Raising Girls? The Five Love Languages, okay? Yes, all these authors have told us there are specific ways that we are to teach to our kids, talk to our kids. You as a person, as a kid, would need to be spoken to in a specific way. But let's suppose, let's suppose that even more is going on in their than their developmental stage, their gender, or even their love language preference. Let's suppose that what Solomon is hinting at here is that your child, with their deep sensitivity to hurting people around them, or their deep sense of justice and empathy, or their God-given ability to be that magnetic persona that has a tendency to just be the life of the party, that sense of humor that kind of gets everyone going. Let's imagine that more was going on than just a personality or a trait, and God intended more for that kid who has to be the life of the party. Maybe God intended them for more than just being the class clown. Okay, So let's suppose that more is intended. And this is more than personality or even spiritual gift because spiritual gifts can change. But rather God is intricately designing and had a plan and a will and a call on each child's life. And what if the shape that God designed them in was used for the unity of the body and the advance of the kingdom? Last week when we talked about taking the world forward, what if God designed by the power of his spirit that dwells every disciple, that when we will simply be who God has called us to be and do out of that, we are putting God most on display to the world around us. We're walking in submission to him, walking as we are called to be. We are most in worshiping him and most accurately and accountably revealing him to those around us simply by doing what's natural. I suggest that this is actually what Solomon is hinting at. And the New Testament writers that give us the roadmap for development and understanding all agree with him. Peter, who we looked at last week, told us how you grow as a disciple. Paul, who was discipled by Peter, goes further and describes what a disciple looks like, how there are specific bends, and how they all work together. That's what we're going to look at today. In Ephesians 4, through 16, it says, And he himself gave some to be apostles some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith, in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children, tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning and cleverness and techniques and deceit, But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him, the whole body was fit and knit together by every supporting ligament. It promotes growth of the body by building up itself in love. And listen to this, by the proper working of each individual part. The proper working of each individual part. See, Paul seems to agree with Solomon. And he goes on, he continues his affirmation in 1 Corinthians 12, where he says, "'For just as the body is one, it has many parts, "'and all the parts are of that body, "'though many are one body, so also is Christ. "'For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, "'whether Jew or Greek, whether slave or free. "'And we are all given one Holy Spirit to drink of. "'Indeed, the body is not one part, but many.'" If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less part of the body. If the whole body were the same part, where would the body be? And as it is, there are many parts but one body. Listen, this is very important. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the foot, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we consider less honorable, that's very important, that we determine we clothe with greater honor and our respectable parts are treated with great respect which our respectable parts do not need. Before I go on, condense this a little bit, here's what I want to say. How many of you, um, when you think of calling or ministry, you immediately think of people like Billy Graham and you go, that's a big stage and a big thing. And then there's like, well, I could never be that. And sweeping the floors around here isn't that important. Okay. That is not true based on what the Bible says. Okay. So just because we determine that something is more important than someone else, I am who He said I am, not what I determine, not what I decide is important. Okay. So uh, Ephesians four says, and He Himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers. But as it is, First Corinthians twelve, God has arranged each one of the parts of the body. Just listen, this is so important, as He wanted. Is he God? Is he still in charge? Is he sovereign? He arranged everything as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? I dare say that we've expected pastors to be these overarching, uh, in the West here, evangelists who can have a tendency to gather people really well. We expect them to be funny. We expect them to be teachers. We expect them to be a lot of things. But maybe they weren't wired that way. Maybe maybe if they had a team around them that picked up the deficiencies of where they are, they might be more effective and vice versa. Now, as someone who loves the church that Jesus died for and someone who loves church history, I took it at two different institutions because I respect it so much. I am not going to do disrespect to the offices of the church that are listed here. But I will say something that I think is incredibly important. I will be teaching through this for the next five weeks, unpacking each calling as we go, one week each. Do not miss it. But there was a day when in the Old Testament we needed prophets. There was an apostolic age that birthed the New Testament church. We need to protect those people who have gone before us. They're a part of our story. Okay? And there's a specific age and time for that. It was important. But today, let me say this I believe that Ephesians 4 is telling us more than just a list of church offices. I think that today there are people who are more prophetic, more like a prophet. And we're going to talk about their shape and their call, not their gifting, not their personality. Those all inform their shape. There are people that are like missionaries today. They look and sound like apostles, apostolic. We're going to talk about that. But here's why I believe that. And I want to be clear. When I was taught in Ephesians 4 in seminary, the purpose of me being trained, Ephesians 4 was to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That's why that was important. And that's what I was doing at seminary, studying so much so that I could equip the saints for the work of the ministry one day as a professional minister. How many of you have ever been told that you're responsible for the Great Commission in Matthew 28? And how many of you know what the Great Commission is? Go, therefore, and make disciples. Can I ask you another question? It's really simple. I'm pretty basic. What is equipping the saints for the work of the ministry if it is not, in fact, making disciples? That's the same thing. So, while I am a professional minister and God expects me to make disciples, He, makes, he expects me to equip saints and make disciples no more so than he does you. You hear me? He expects all of us to make disciples and equip saints. It's the same. So that's why there's more than offices going on here. Second Peter 1 says this, which we looked at last week. May grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given Everything to us required for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us according to His glory and goodness. By these, He has given us great and precious promises so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. How many of you have ever experienced corruption by evil desire in the world? How many of you know that we have a tendency to love us, worship ourselves? If you didn't raise your hand, we're talking about you. So, what Moses and Solomon and Peter and Paul are all suggesting is that we are created, but for more than just being created, we're created with purpose in the very intent and design of God. We are each individually called, and our individual shape matches one of these five titles listed in Ephesians 4. For the unity of the body and the advance of the kingdom, which he spoke of in 1 Corinthians 12. For the sake of Jesus. In the fullness of Christ. Hello? We are created with purpose. Point two, we are called. We are called. As already stated, his designing us, his intending us was intelligent. And it wasn't ambiguous. How many of you grew up in the church? Hands raised. How many of you heard some statement like this as you were raised in the church? Every member is a minister. Hands raised if you heard something like that before. Yeah, absolutely. I grew up with that that and it's not wrong. That is right. But how many of you, that statement was taught only to you in ambiguity? There was no teaching that helped you to develop, to understand what it meant to be a minister of the gospel and why you look the way you do. And the part that you play is more than just doing a job It's that you are called to be and walk as he's called you. And that being will inform your calling. Let me be more clear in America. We have a tendency to do this to people when we walk up to them. Hey, how you doing? I'm Justin. What do you do? And based on what they say informs me so I can put them in a category that tells me how intelligent or unintelligent they are. So that I can categorize them and know how to deal with them. We have a tendency to make our value in America based on what we do or what we do or do not have. Hello? Hello? I believe that Jesus died so that you and I could live and it was a death that intended far more than that. That is not rich. Hello? What you do and what you have, if that's all that exists in defining you, you are living a very shallow existence. And the ambiguity of uh, ministry for everyone, you're going to be happy as a lark. Because it doesn't ask you to be accountable to anything. Oh, shoot. Now we're talking about accountability. Your God-given call is not solely your occupation or your vocation. Your calling is not your vocation. Pharmacist, businesswoman, we're not on the list. Hello? Who you are can inform all those things. But those aren't on the list. Paul in 2 Timothy 1.1, 1, 1, he writes to his understudy, Timothy, who's the pastor of Ephesus. He is a pastor. This is the pastoral epistles. He writes to Timothy and guess how he writes. He starts with Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Did he ever make a dime as an apostle of Jesus Christ? The answer is no. No. But he does not introduce himself as Paul the tent maker. He does not do that. So Paul is hinting at something here. Your life was intended for more. There's a bigger picture. And when you hear him write and say there is a spiritual battle going on. We don't fight flesh and blood. We fight in the realm of principalities of darkness. There's a spiritual world that exists. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about you were made for more. You were made for eternity. And when you know who you are and how you are called, it'll inform what you do. Most of the world should be able to identify this. Most of America should be able to identify with this. Because more than 85% of Americans make a paycheck for something they didn't study in college. And most of the world around us would never define the job that they do week in and week out as as who they are. You know what defines them? Where you find them on the weekends. What they do in their time that is just theirs. What Paul is saying is that if a member tries to decide... Listen, I want to read this again in 1 Corinthians 12. Indeed, the body is not one part, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand... I don't belong to the body, is not for that reason any less part of the body. Let me go further with that. If we are living in a world that because someone does something for a living that determines their value, then we may also have a tendency to categorize the popular and the unpopular. We may have a tendency to think that certain functions are better than others. And if we decide... Because he said, you decide, not me, I don't res- I'm not a respecter of persons, you decide to treat something as less valuable. If you decide that it's unvaluable or you develop calling or even gift envy because that person the body who does it does not have, um, believe that their specific call contributes or listen, isn't recognized as much as it should be. Paul says this, that the entire body suffers. Let me say it again. If one member in the body suffers, the entire body suffers. We have an enemy. He's called the father of all lies, and he was called the accuser by Jesus himself. He lies to us, crippling us from doing as we are called. Every lie in the world is about value. Every lie in this series you're going to hear me give is directly tied to your individual function, your individual shape. The thing God intended you to do, and He's lying to you about it. But here's what I want to say before we get to lies no one calling is more important than any other calling. No one calling is more valuable than any other else from God's perspective. They're all important. They all work together and they are intentional. The entire body will suffer if we begin to force people to do because we decide we don't want to, to do our job. We ask them to exert more energy than they were naturally expected to. Let me give you an example. How many of you have ever driven a stick shift? Okay, Four things go on at once. Now, I mean, really five, because you need to be able to see the road in front of you. So you got eyes engaged. Your right hand is going to do what? Shift, the steering column, the the shifting column. Your left hand is going to what? Steer. Your left foot is on what in a stick shift? The clutch. And... There's this incredibly important balance that has to be found between the right foot and the left foot when driving a stick shift because the right foot is on the what? Accelerator. And if you don't give the right amount of gas as you're letting out the clutch, what happens? You stall out. You go nowhere. Let's imagine the right foot stays connected to the body. We didn't sever it, didn't cut it off, but it just decides I don't wanna be a right foot today. I don't want to accelerate. I don't like that job. I have gift envy. I want to be the one shifting. Can you imagine someone trying to shift with the right foot going down the street? You look foolish. You go nowhere. Can you imagine trying to drive a stick when the right foot decides that's not what I want to do? I don't want to accelerate. You literally just got in the way you force every other member of the body to work twice as hard to accomplish moving this car forward because you decided that I don't want to do this. That's not what I want to be. I don't want to be a right foot. God is incredibly resistant of pride and arrogance. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. We should not be looking at right feet going, we don't need you unless we want to stall out or unless we want to crash. We can't look at the body and the body can't decide that it has no no importance. The head can't look at the feet and say, I don't need you. James 4 says this, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. We can only expect the stiff arm of God when we stiff arm Him or our brothers or sisters or our God-given call. When we in arrogance decide as a church to tell other members that we don't need them, (laughs) you're not the church. In fact, Jesus designed us in each one of these categories so that we might express and magnify ourselves with a need for the other four. Not just Him, but we need the other four because there's deficiencies in us. This was his plan, his strategy. It says that he desired in John 17 to reveal himself to the world. And he would do it through the unity of the church. And John 17, he says, may they all be one so that the world may know that you sent me. But here's the thing. We can't also all be the right foot. We can't all just decide the right foot gets to accelerate. I want to go fast. We cannot all just decide. 1 Corinthians 12 says, If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? The whole body an ear, where would the sense of smell be? We are not all the same calling. Write that down. We are also not all of the callings in one. If you were, honey, you'd be Jesus. You would not need a savior, nor would you need anybody else. The first and, and greatest commandments were, love him with all you have. You need him. Second, love your neighbor as yourself. You need him. So you are not all the same calling, and neither are we all the callings in one, or some strange combination of two. Has anyone ever witnessed a, a, a foot hand before? I have not i 've never seen a hand and foot fused together it 's not what i 've seen. In fact, what I have seen is a hand stand i 've seen people stand on their hands. You seen that before now i 've seen impressively people stand on their hands for long periods of time. How many of you blow my hair back i 've seen people walk on their hands for long periods of time. People who train at it get good at it but is standing on their hands ever going to be more effective than the designed intent of a foot. No, we are going to be called to operate at times because the lack of that calling being around or God just needs it. God will call you in a season to do things That is not your natural call and you can do that, but it doesn't mean you evolved into that thing. A foot doesn't become a hand, hello? It would be really weird to watch a hand become an eye. We're not doing that, that's not what happens you have always kind of been this thing because God decided when he dreamt you into existence, this is what he wanted you to be. And this is how you most contribute and most accountably worship him is when you just be who you are. It's exciting. Paul wrote to Timothy and said, do the work of an evangelist. Was he an evangelist? No. He was a pastor who in a season... Paul looked at him and said, You have people trying to take over your church with false te- teaching. You have to fight for that, and you've got to come back to the soul aspect of the gospel. For a moment, that's going to be important. There was only one evangelist spoken of in Scripture. We will discuss him. His name was Philip. He did not ask Timothy to become Philip, he said to work like Philip. Hello? Because he knew how he was designed. God gave some to be. We did not decide. The whole world gets out of balance when we start bumping into one another with gift envy, or more importantly, because gifts are different, they can change. Callings do not, they do not morph. Your shape is your shape, God given. And when you decide, like the right foot, I want to be the left hand and I want to steer. Everything gets off and you force everyone else to do work exponentially harder than we were intended to. Unity does not look right to the world because that guy looks like a foot. Why is he steering? That's weird. I want nothing to do with that. God designed that it would be our unity that would reveal himself to the world and advance the kingdom. They work together, point three. Evangelists gather and recruit. Prophets tell and give vision. Apostles rally, employ, and send, Pastors lead, encourage, correct, and defend. And teachers incrementally instruct. Let me show you what I mean. I'm going to use these cups to better explain that we have one Holy Spirit that indwells all of us. We are all called to make disciples and we are all called to bear spiritual fruit. That's what makes a disciple, right? Believers are like demons. They can gain a ton of knowledge but do nothing with it. The Spirit goes into each of these like one drink offering. Fruit is going to be born from their lives, but it's going to look a little differently coming out of each of these shapes. We all agree so far? It's pretty simple math. There are five seats at this table. And if an evangelist is responsible for gathering us for vision, who do you think got us here? You can say it out loud. You got it. The evangelist. That's right, the evangelist got you here and I liken him to a red solo cup, why? Because they throw parties, <laughs> they do, they throw parties and everywhere they go, they're looking for a party. They have a ma- tendency to have magnoti- magnetic personalities, a persona that, that can gather both the chess team and the football team into the same room because here's the thing that I want you to understand, innately with inside them, it is, it's a burden on them. Everyone should be included. They want everyone there. And when they throw a party, everyone comes. How many of you know that person that when you... Listen, even when you're in mourning, you are suffering. You're sitting at the, uh, the funeral home. And you have that person in your life who just has a tendency to rightly time a joke. Not everyone can do it. These four try and they look like a jerk. But this guy shows up and he looks at you when you are deep in mourning and he just tells you something kind of a little funny, a little joke, and you kind of feel your spirit lift. He just threw you a party right there, just the two of you, boom. How many of you know who I'm talking about? Raise your hand if you know someone like this. They go into the sacred and the secular, grab the microphone, hey ho, we're all in. You know what I'm saying? Just have this innate ability to gather people, recruit for vision. But every lie is tied directly to their God given function. So, what's the lie that'll cripple the evangelist, make it hard to get out of bed in the morning? You'll be forgotten. You're not included. Hey, you'll throw a party and, and two of these guys are going to find each other from the chess team and football team. They're going to buddy up, become friends, and they're going to forget about you. All they want you to do is refill their waters now. And they're going to walk out, forgetting you. So here's what these guys do when they're operating out of fear and operating in the lie. What they do is they run around throwing parties everywhere, constantly running to... A different crowd. Why? Just trying to get that cup filled. I'm here. I'm here. Don't forget me. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. Even when uninvited, I'm here. But they have a God-given function and talent for doing what the others cannot. They gather for vision. And they have to trust that God has put that in them like he's not put it in anyone else. Because once we do get gathered, we're all going to ask, why are we here? What's the point? What is the purpose? And then this guy's up. Like a shot glass, a prophet is someone who thirsts and hungers after righteousness just like Matthew 5 says. Someone who has a, an innate gift to discern truth amongst a bunch of lies. And how many of you know the world is full of lies? Hello? Hello? How many of you have that person in your life that when you you're gonna confess something to them, you worked up before you even got there with a full script, you were gonna tell them exactly what you wanted just to make yourself look better. Hello? Never done that before? Yeah, you have. So you show up, got a whole thing, here's what happened, here's what she did, here's what she said, and I was only responding, here's what happened, here's what they go, hold up time out. I don't need all that. I don't need any of that. Here's what happened. Here's the heart of the matter. You are selfish. They look at you dead in the eye and here's what you do. You're right. They cut through all the stuff to tell you precisely what happened, when it happened, because they believe and know that all vision comes from Scripture. And they're gonna give you exactly what took place and back it up with scripture. Like a shot glass, what they're gonna do is cut through all the stuff and hit you hard and fast and it's gonna go down. It's it's gonna burn a little bit because the flesh is coming off and they're supposed to, but it's gonna leave a deep and lasting impact. They're going to set a course for you. You can't move forward when you keep lying to yourself. So let's accept the truth, repent, and move forward. Your prophet. Anyone know someone like this? Okay. They're fun folks. (laughs) Deeply intense. I mean, typically kind of lonely. If you looked at them in the Old Testament, like Samuel shows up to anoint the next king of Israel and they look at him and go, why are you here? Who sinned? Like, did you come peaceably? So they, they are people who discern the truth amongst a bunch of lies. But here's the thing. There is always, always, always a lie that ties directly to their function. And the lie for the prophet is this. It's your fault. What's my fault? Everything. <laughs> All of it. Yeah, that's right. It's not that sin exists. You created it because you're gonna walk these people right off a cliff if you tell them what you think you're about to. You try to walk as you're called, the enemy's right there in your ear going, you're gonna walk them off a cliff. It's your fault. But we all need someone when we hear that truth and they point and say, there it is, we're headed north. That's it. We all need someone who can encourage us, rally us, move us to packing so we start going north because how many of you know when you hear the truth, sometimes it's frightening and the response of you is sometimes frightening, difficult. It's gonna do things. It's gonna take hard steps but in a moment so that you're not crippled by fear. They go, how many of you have ever been north before? And you go, I haven't. I'm scared. I'm terrified. They go, you should pack. It's awesome. And all of a sudden you go, I feel like I should pack. The kid when you were growing up who had the tendency to influence everyone around them. This is your apostle, like a wine goblet broken out in only the most important of times. Those spiritual benchmarks benchmarks that kind of nudge us out of the nest and move us forward when we'd otherwise be crippled. These are your people who hear that less than 2% of Vancouver is Christian and they go, I'm going I'm going to take the gospel there, give that message away and let community form around it. We need to send someone. That's what they do. Like your kid who was walking with you on this 50 foot trestle and they look at you and go, hey, you should jump off of here. And you go, that's 50 feet into like rocks. I'm going to die. And they'll go, no, nothing will happen. You won't even get a scratch. Do it. Man, I feel like I should do this, you know? And we jump. We jump not even a scratch, what do you do next? You turn and go, oh my gosh, I survived and I don't have a scratch, what's next? Because these people have an an immeasurable gift of faith and they, like entrepreneurs, like missionaries, will move the church forward and keep them from otherwise being crippled by fear. They cannot help but lead to Jesus. Or if they're crippled by the lie, lead away. Influencers, unsubmitted to Jesus just become the biggest manipulators in the room what's the lie of the apostle there is no straddling the fence there is no half in half out there's not 99 foot in 1% out there is, it takes everything it's going to take all of me and so here it is is this Jesus thing even real because it's going to take my life So, if the enemy can cripple the apostle with the the doubt that it may not be real, they'll stop nudging people forward. The church stops and gets crippled by fear, and we don't ever see all that God intended in the kingdom's advance. Hello? Is this even real? Once we go, I'm packed, I'm kind of excited about it, but I'm still kind of scared. The pastor steps up like a coffee cup and goes, hey, are you afraid? Don't be, I'm gonna be right here with you. I'm gonna get out a little bit in front of you like a shepherd, give you an example of where to follow and you can come right behind me. I'm gonna walk beside you. If you fall down, I'll pick you up, I'll bandage you. I'm I'm gonna make sure as I get behind you, make sure you don't look East or West or South. I wanna make sure you keep going North. I'm gonna walk with you, I'm here for you. I wanna drink you in. I wanna know everything about you. I wanna be deep and deep seated. I want you to know me and know you and I will defend you. I will make sure that no lion or bear comes after you. I'll take it by the beard and I'll wrestle it to the ground. I'm for you. I'm for you. I am going to make your ability to walk out this vision north safe. I'm here. But when you are there for everyone, there's a lie that the enemy tries to cripple you with. You're their doormat. You'll be there for everyone, but in the end, no one will be there for you. Right? So, yeah, go ahead. All of a sudden, when I start to hear that lie and I get crippled by that lie, I don't even want to get out of bed anymore because I've been there for everyone. I've gone down rabbit hole after rabbit hole. And when I, when I get thrown down a rabbit hole, where is everybody? So, I make it safe for everybody, but no one makes it safe for me. And lastly... So we've been gathered for vision. We've had vision set and protected. We've been rallied to vision and we know that it's gonna be safe to do this vision. But what and how and why are we gonna execute this vision, teacher? How many times did the disciples look at Jesus and say, teacher or rabbi, what's next? He goes, I'd love to tell you, you're not ready. They have the ability to discern and the wisdom to know what, Everyone can handle. They go who, what, why, when, how. They set an itinerary and agenda for going north and they show us how to execute it, when to execute it, why to execute it, how it's going to work. Incremental instruction comes out of them. The spirit of God goes in and it comes out as the people can handle it. And it teaches us how to execute the vision that God has given us. Hello? What will cripple a teacher though? What will cripple a teacher from giving away the incremental truths of how to execute this vision? You're not good enough. You didn't actually get that vision. You don't know. I mean, if you're the one responsible for them executing the vision, do you even understand the vision? You're too dumb. You don't have enough degrees. You don't have enough experience. You don't have enough accolades. So you, you don't deserve. You're right. I'm not good enough, And so I don't even want to get out of bed. You hear that? Every lie is about value. Every lie is intended to cripple the God-given function of every person in this room and how they most contribute. And we're not here to answer your calling today. We're starting a fire. We're not answering these questions yet. But hopefully, God is revealing a few things to you that's starting to, like a light bulb, go off a little bit about who you are, how you are, how you've always been. But when you became a believer and submitted to Jesus, it just became like, oh, I can see how this would work within the body and the role that I play and how much I need the other four. Today, we are going to unpack each of these week by week for the next five. Do not miss it. We are going to be discussing these week by week in your life group. Do not miss it. We need to be able to talk about these things. And even if at the end of which you don't understand, you're like, I don't know what my calling is. I'm still kind of processing. That's okay. Listen, the most important title you could ever have is child of God. Hello? The most important thing that you can do is stop stiff-arming God so that you continue to grow in the spin cycle like we talked last week. That's incredibly important that the fruit of God be born from your life and it not just be knowledge. But if God reveals to you precisely how he wants fruit coming out of you, amen, you now know how you're accountable to worship and contribute. But I want to say, no one tells you you're calling except for God. So as we discover these things, ask questions. We're discovering. We're seeking the scriptures. Justin is not coming up with something. We simply want to know what the Bible says, implies, expects, and intends. That's it. And we're gonna do that together.